Uh, this January, for the third year in a row, we are going to do our Broken and Beautiful sermon series. And so the idea of this series has been to, from time to time, set aside some time to talk through um, ways in which we're kind of broken and, and need healing in our inner lives and the ways that the Bible responds to that and the way that the Bible equips us for that. So in the past, we've tackled topics like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, grief. Uh, and this year, we're going to tackle two topics. In a couple weeks, we're going to get to um, abuse. And, and this, this week and next week, we're going to talk about the, the issue of pornography. And uh, it's, it's a really uncomfortable topic, I think, for all of us. And so I need you to understand why we're doing what we're about to do. You may think, you know, we're talking about Pornography used to be controversial or to be edgy. That's not the case. What we're doing here today um, is simply addressing an important issue that, that is a real issue for, for within our, our church body. And so we know with great certainty that this is an issue lots of people struggle with. Um, a Barna study in, in the States in 2014, found that among self-identified Christians, uh, 64% of the men had viewed pornography, uh, viewed pornography on a monthly basis, and 15% of the women. Now, that's an American study. I'm hoping and praying that in Canada it's a little bit better. I'm hoping and praying that in, at South Langley it's a bit better. But even if you cut those numbers in half, within a church our size, you would be talking about dozens of people uh, who, who are actively wrestling with this. And so, and so maybe this isn't a topic that is directly applicable to you, but it's likely that if it's not for you, it's, it is for someone you know and probably some, someone you care about. And so with that in mind, there are really four convictions that are leading us into this discussion of this topic. Uh, the first conviction is that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We said this at Christmas Eve, that if you're broken, dysfunctional, and, and a sinner, that actually you'll fit right in in Jesus' family, and you'll fit right in in the South Langley Church family. This isn't a place where we just come and pretend to be, you know, perfect. Uh, secondly, you don't ignore disease, you treat it. And so if we have reason to believe that this is an infection in parts of our church, we need to deal with it. We don't ignore it and hope it will go away. Uh, thirdly, good things don't grow in the dark. And so, and so what you find in the Bible is that God doesn't call us toward darkness. He calls us toward light. He doesn't call us toward hiding. He calls us toward uh, confession. And then uh, lastly, Christian faith includes all of who we are. We sang that a moment ago, actually. All I am is yours. Okay, Jesus said... Um, Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul said, um, he said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all of it to the glory of God. See, the picture in the Bible is not that Christianity is a slice of the pie of your life. Your Christian faith is, actually encompasses your whole life. Your mental health is part of your Christian faith. Your marriage, your sexuality, the way you treat other people are all part of your Christian faith. And so if you're a Christian here sitting in church on Sunday, you're a Christian late at night in the glow of your laptop screen. 
And so if your faith extends to there, we need to talk about it. So, we're going to ask you, church, today and next Sunday, to enter into this really uncomfortable and difficult discussion because this is a key issue. And so I'm going to invite up Ross Hyde, uh, who will be our main speaker for today. Ross is a registered counselor. Uh, he attends South Langley here, along with Jenna and their three kids. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks, or next two weeks, is um, kind of tag team it. And so Ross is going to come at this today as a counselor, and he's going to kind of give us the, the clinical reality of pornography uh, use and the issue of pornography. And then next week, I'm going to follow up uh, with the biblical theological um, side of things. So they're meant to be complementary complimentary, uh, sermons. And so we're going <laughs> to... It's going to be great. Ross, let me, let me pray for you as we, as we go into this. Thanks, Dave. God, I, I thank you for Ross. I thank you for his willingness to lead us into um, uh, a difficult area. I thank you for his willingness to, to open up a, a discussion that a lot of people just don't want to have. And Lord, I pray courage upon him today, courage to say what needs to be said. I pray sensitivity upon him today, uh, sensitivity... That, that each of his words would be measured, each of his words would be uh, from you and would be what is helpful for us today. Lord, our desire is that out of all of this, you would bring healing uh, to those of us who are broken in this area and that you would lead all of us to follow you more closely, Jesus. So bless all of Ross's words and bless our time together. Amen. Amen. Ross. Thanks, buddy. Good morning, South Langley Church. Great to be with you all again in this capacity, speaking at the uh, Broken and Beautiful Sermon series. This is my third time doing this. I'm honored to be asked to come back and speak. Anybody who's heard me uh, speak before in, in previous years has probably heard me utter the phrase, you know, a lot of times in life, we need to learn to be comfortable with what's uncomfortable. And I'm living that right now. I am practicing what I preach. Uh, so yeah, huge topic, messy topic. Uh, guess what? Pornography is not going anywhere. So let's figure out how to navigate this in a good and godly way. Uh, messy topic. Some people, as, as Dave mentioned, you're going to be personally impacted by some of what I talk about today. Please do what you need to do to take care of yourselves. Uh, if you need to follow up and have further discussion about this, I'll be available after the service. Come and talk to Dave, talk to Wes, come and talk to somebody about it, okay? Okay, let's jump in. There's a lot to get to. Uh, a definition of pornography might sound something like this. Visual material containing explicit uh, display of sexual activity intended to stimulate erotic feelings. The definition that I like best is that it's a commercial sex act that's filmed. So you have a sex act that takes place. It's filmed, and there's an exchange of money. Uh, it's important to note that it's not just a male issue, as 28% of people admitting to internet sexual addiction today are female. So while it's important to note that, and that number is, is rising, it still remains predominantly a male issue. Males being more than six times as likely to engage in pornography consumption than females. 
some statistics, some sobering statistics, approximately 9 out of 10 children between the ages of 8 and 16 have viewed porn on the internet. The average age of first internet exposure to pornography is 11. I'm now hearing stories about kiddos as young as 6 being exposed to it. And it's often, it's unintentional. Right? They're, they're on some, they're playing some game on a, on a device and there's some kind of a pop-up and it leads them down some rabbit hole that they didn't intend to go to. So, um, the largest consumer of internet pornography is 12 to 17 year old boys. The growth in its popularity is linked to the three A's, accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. There's a myth that porn is harmless that it's just a personal, individual decision. I'm just watching two consenting adults do whatever they want with their bodies and I'm not harming anybody and I'm here today to debunk that myth. That is not true. The reality that we'll see today, porn is involved in exploitation and porn is, porn is damaging to its consumers. I'm gonna start by looking at some of the global impacts. You could do an entire sermon series on this. There's no way I'm gonna be able to get to everything today. This is a huge topic, but this is something that I think that when churches do talk about porn, I don't know that they necessarily talk about this part, and I'm not going to camp out here for a super long time, but it's really important to know this. Okay, this is borrowed from an article written by Justin Holcomb, theology professor at Reformed Theolog Theological Seminary. Uh, it's from the Gospel Coalition. Porn fuels the sex trade. Sex trafficking is one of the most profitable forms of human trafficking. It involves many kinds of sexual exploitation, such as prostitution and pornography. The primary way that porn fuels the sex trade is by building the demand. So the trafficking industry, it wouldn't exist without demand. How does porn do this? Well, it awakens these desires and it creates these attitudes towards women and children that can't be satisfied within healthy relationships. And another piece of that, which I'll talk a little bit more about later, is the law of diminishing returns. So the law of diminishing returns is a really fancy phrase, but it just means that the more you consume something, the more you become uh, accustomed to it, and it doesn't have the same, it doesn't give you the same rush that it used to, so you start to need more and more of that content, more and more violent, explicit content. And eventually, that content that you're viewing on your screen, you start to think, I'd like to try that with a real person. So does that kind of make sense about how porn fuels the demand? Uh, we need to move pornography out of the realm of entertainment. It doesn't belong there. Out of the realm of education. Some people actually believe that. And unfortunately, a lot of our kiddos are learning about porn, are learning about sex through porn. It doesn't belong in education. It doesn't belong in entertainment. It belongs in the category of human trafficking and prostitution. Dr. Rob Ray at the Apologetics Canada Conference 2017 said, the degree to which we address and care about the issue of pornography is the degree to which we address and care about the issue of human trafficking. To consume pornography is to be complicit with the tragedy of human trafficking, human degradation, and to be a part and an underwriter of the systems that support it. That's why porn is much, much more than a private, individual decision. Porn exploits child sex abuse victims. Quick story about an adult film star. Uh, her name is Mercedes Grabowski. She was born in Nova Scotia in 1994. And in an interview just weeks before she died, <clears throat> she spoke about her life before she got involved in the adult film industry. 
horrible relationship with her father, was sexually molested repeatedly by family friends. And when she finally built up the courage to uh, tell her parents about what had been happening, about the sexual molestation that kept occurring, she was called a liar. Um, she was babysitting for a family friend, and the father of the child she was babysitting took advantage of her and offered her cocaine for the removal of her clothing. So she grew up with horrible depression, horrible PTSD, and eventually became a drug-addicted porn star before taking her life last month. She hung herself in December. Her story is not unusual within the porn industry. In fact, in many ways, it's the norm. The production of porn preys on and further damages people who have suffered sexual abuse. In fact, most women involved in the sex industry are adult survivors of sex abuse. Research indicates that numbers between 60 and 80%. I, I think it's probably even higher than that. There's also evidence that force and coercion are used to secure women's participation in pornography. Psychological and physical damage is common, and heavy alcohol and drug use are routine. Just a quick sidebar about that. Like, that's very true. Like, a lot of these um, porn stars, they're, they're using all kinds of illicit drugs on set. And it's interesting. You think about the story I just shared. She had this experience as a young girl where she was taken advantage of and offered drugs to take off her clothing. And she ended up in an industry where she was taking off her clothes and offered drugs in exchange for that. It's a traumatic reenactment. Um, 20% of all internet pornography involves children. <clears throat> and that's why porn is much more than a private individual decision. Even if pornography wasn't bad for you as an individual, as I'm going to explain it is, but even if it wasn't, that should be enough to make you want to quit. Porn supports rape culture. Porn creates what some researchers call rape culture by normalizing, legitimizing, and condoning violence against women and children. That's why porn is much more than an individual private decision. But it is an individual decision. And now we're going to look at the impacts on the individual user. Porn limits men. Uh, Philip Zimbardo has done some research around this about how the impacts of porn and video games on our young men today. And they're growing up with little to no understanding of how relationships work, very little will to pursue education or professional positions or even work at all. Young men are, are by and large not doing well. And porn is a big reason for that. Uh, porn is much more than a private individual decision. But choosing porn is choosing to damage yourself. His research looks at how porn is driving its disproportionately male users away from reality. Choosing porn is choosing to damage yourself. Some of the addictive effects, a 2007 study out of Germany concluded for the first time that a sexual compulsion can cause physical anatomical change in the brain, which is the hallmark of brain addiction. Human activities stimulate naturally occurring neurotransmitters in the brain much in the same way that a substance does. 
then, like I said before, with the law of diminishing returns, your brain becomes adapted to what it's consuming, and you start to need more and more violent, explicit content just to give you that same rush that it gave you before, or even just to feel normal. Uh, highly addictive, much in the same, but bottom line here, porn is highly addictive, much in the same way that alcohol or drugs are. I've worked with men who have lost their job because they were consuming pornography on a work device. I've worked with men who are going through a divorce because they simply cannot uh, beat this addiction. But there's also, there's also victory stories. I'm going to share one of those with you later. Developmental effects of porn. The prevalence of porn in the lives of many children and adolescents is far more significant than most adults realize. Porn is deforming the healthy sexual development of its young viewers and is used to exploit children and adolescents. Porn hijacks children's sexuality. It takes away their innocence. Uh, we're now bringing up a generation of boys on cruel, violent porn. Uh, our children are learning about sex through pornography, and it's leading to some very troubling patterns of belief. For example, uh, the research indicates that our, our children today are growing up with very cavalier attitudes towards sex. Right? Relationship and commitment, those are no longer the norm. Casual sex and experimentation instead are. A 2009 study confirmed a relationship between exposure to porn and permissive attitudes towards sex. Sexting, huge issue. I'm not going to camp out on that, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Huge problem. 20% of sexts are photos of children, mostly girls, aged 15 or younger. The other thing I hear about a lot is there's a sex act that takes place between two young people and, uh, you know, one of these people, it's usually the female, is being recorded unknowingly. And then that recording is then shared with his buddies or posted to social media or what have you. It's a nightmare. So if you don't think your kids are old enough to talk about porn, chances are you're wrong. And this reminds me, I've got a colleague who's doing great work in this area. She's written two articles about how to teach your adolescents, sorry, how to talk to your adolescents about porn and how to talk to your young kiddos about porn too. She's doing fabulous work. I have so much respect for the work she's doing. And we're going to make a document that's going to be available next week, Dave, and I'm going to be sure to include links to those articles because they're really helpful. Uh, the goal is not to shield our adolescents from sexuality, but to help them develop a healthy, godly, fulfilling sexuality. This is a quote from Dave Navarro. I liked it so much I stole it from him. Porn is like a megaphone. It drowns out any healthy messages about sex and causes our kids to develop a dysfunctional, risky, unfulfilling sexuality. Nice job, Dave. So, okay, some of the marital and sexual effects of porn. Uh, frequent porn use is predictive of lower marital quality, higher chance of infidelity, overall marital instability, lower sexual satisfaction, lower commitment to the relationship, lower self-image, intimacy problems. I could go on and on and on. A report in 2004 found that internet porn consumption is strongly correlated with being in an unhappy marriage. There's something called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. I see this in my practice. These are men who are consuming so much pornography, it becomes the only thing that stimulates them anymore. So when they're faced with the prospect of being with their spouse, they are unable to perform sexually. Uh, this... I thought it was important to mention that, because this is another thing that I see in my practice, guys. Porn can shape the appetite, the sexual appetite of its consumer, right? So there's a few basic themes in pornography. All women at all times want sex from all men. 
Women enjoy all the sexual acts that men perform or demand. And any woman who does not at first realize this can easily be turned with a little force. This is huge because uh, I think this is a big reason why married men who are consuming pornography are sexually frustrated. Because what they're watching isn't matching up with what they're getting in real life. Huge implications. I want to transition now. I could, I could talk about these impacts. Like I said, we could do a sermon series on each, each topic that I'm touching on today. Uh, but I want to transition to some specific types of questions, Dave, and I thought we would uh, address. So a hypothetical scenario, you've got a, a man and a wife. They're married for 10 years, and, and the wife discovers that uh, her husband has a porn addiction. So how can she pick up the pieces? How can she learn to forgive him? How can she ever learn to trust him again? Dave is going to unpack more of the uh, forgiveness piece next week. From a clinical perspective, I would say that it's really contextual, right? Because some women view the discovery of porn use the exact same way as the discovery of of an affair. It's no different, right? It depends on sort of how you view that. It depends on what you were taught about porn and sex growing up. That could be a factor. Uh, How strong the marriage was in the first place could be a factor. Uh, Is this the first betrayal, or have there been other betrayals in the past? There's lots of different factors to consider in terms of how how a wife is going to be able to pick up the pieces and move past it. But if she she decides and and comes to a place where she's able to do that, it's going to be a journey. Like, it's going to be a process. I don't know. It could take a week. It could take months. It could take a decade, decades. I don't know, right? It's very contextual. Um... It's going to be a journey, chances are, and I'm, and I'm not just saying this because this is what I do for a living, but you're probably going to need some therapy. It, it wouldn't hurt, right? Um, how can a husband get the courage to repent? How can he go through the short-term pain, including the pain it will cause his wife for a long-term game? I'm of two minds on this topic. Because um, on the one hand, he kind of needs to man up. He kind of needs to fight for his marriage and fight for himself and fight for his reputation and fight for his mental, spiritual, emotional, physical health. On the other hand, he needs compassion to build up that self-worth again. Dave is going to talk more next week about how righteousness is found in Jesus, not in us, which is a, a, a big part of what we're talking about here. For those of you who are single and think that... Um, like it's worth pointing out that the patterns that you are living in right now, they're not that easy to change as soon as you get married, right? Like I do quite a bit of premarital counseling, and as part of that process, I'll usually split, split them up and see them individually for a session. And something I hear a lot of from the guys is, um, well, yeah, I'm using porn, but I'm going to stop as soon as I get married. Really? How are you going to do that? It's not that easy. So maybe you need to have a conversation with the person in the mirror. Take stock of, take account of, you know, some of the patterns that you're engaging in and and nip those in the bud. The longer you leave them, the harder they are to change. This is a good one. What do you do if you're dating or engaged and discover porn use? You're dating this guy or this gal. It's been a couple years. Pretty sure they're the one. They leave their phone on the counter. You pick it up and you see some egregious images on there. What do you do? You talk about it. You talk about it. 
you might discover that this really isn't the person for you. Maybe this is one of these people who has really cavalier attitudes about this. Maybe they don't, they don't think it's a big deal at all. Maybe they feel great shame. Maybe they're super embarrassed and they don't want to be engaging in this and they really need some help and some support, right? But talk about it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't do that. It's going to come back to bite you if you try to do that. So that's the clinical reality of porn use. How am I doing for time? Good? That's the clinical reality. As Christians, how do we respond to porn? Simply put, we fight it. We fight it. Like Dave said, we've got to slay this dragon. It's a tsunami, but we've got to fight it. Dave is going to dive deeper into the biblical stuff next week, but I do want to touch on the biblical mandate around porn. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8 says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such, such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Verse 4 is what's really crucial there. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And that's a really big piece when we talk about the practical pieces about uh, dealing with this. What do you do about it? If you think you can't beat this, you're wrong. With God's help, you're stronger than you think. It's smart to take action and put safeguards on your devices. They're not perfect. Internet access is everywhere, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have something like this in place if pornography is an issue for you. Um, I just wanted to make a note about this. This is something that I try to include in my practice whenever it's pertinent. So hypothetical, right? Assuming it's the husband who's, who's the one viewing the porn and wants to change that. <clears throat> he needs to be the one to put these this accountability software on his devices. He needs to be the one who's in the driver's seat of making that change. And if he, if he changes his life, if he rearranges his life, he rearranges his heart. The ideal solution, though, getting back to verse 4 from 1 Thessalonians there, that you should learn to control your body in a way, the ideal solution, decide that you're no longer going to engage in this type of practice with the realization that you, with God's help, are in control of yourself and your decision-making. And you decide to get help, get counseling. Uh, find somebody from a care group that you can start an accountability group with, right? Um, there's, there's other, there's other um, ways that you can get help. Uh, maybe SAA is something that uh, somebody might need. Um, I know that that sounds extreme, but if porn is a huge problem for you and something that you're really struggling to beat on your own, uh, I'm an advocate. Uh, for Sex Addicts Anonymous. Uh, there's a really great group in Abbotsford that's doing really good things. If you have more questions about that, please come and talk to me. What can parents do about it? It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. In talking 
about our children, the bulk of the change has to start at home. It has to come from the parents, the caregivers, the guardians. Parents need to establish more boundaries. For example, practical solutions for internet filtering. There's several Wi-Fi routers with parental controls for content maturity levels. Offer more guidance. Turn on your child's creativity. Right? A lot of people that are engaging in, in uh, too much porn use are bored, right? idle hands. Right? Boredom breeds mischief. We all know this. Right? Turn on your child's creativity. Get them busy. Get them into sports. Right? Be a good role model. Or if you're a single mom, find a good male role model or mentor for your son. They're out there. Teach him positive ways to feel like a man, but also ways to develop his unique character as a human being. The real change comes from within. Guys, how do we view women? How do we want to view women? How should we view women? Gals, how do we view men? How do you want to view men? How should we view men? How should we view the human body? Perhaps the most exceptional thing about all of creation lies in the biblical assertion that we are created in the image of God. This is an exceptional aspect of creation with profound implications. We're not just some complex system of neurons, you know, that have evolved through natural selection. We're so much more than that. We're image bearers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Those bodies that you're lusting over, right, that that gal at the grocery store that you're getting way too good of a look at, she's an image bearer. That's your sister in Christ. They may not know that yet, but we know that. Genesis 127 tells us, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. I don't know about you, but when I really reflect on that and allow that to permeate, that's a game changer. When we look at pornography, when we look at women lustfully, when we look at men lustfully, when we look at the human body lustfully, we're desecrating the Imago Dei, the image of God that we're created in. If pornography is a problem for you, you need to implement some changes and interventions in your life. Use accountability software, such as Covenant Eyes. Dave's going to touch more on that next week. Um, parental control software like Custodio. Uh, you know, create 10 seconds of, of hesitation, right? That's a great thing about Covenant Eyes. It, it forces you to stop and think about, well, what's going to happen if I utilize it? What's going to happen if I engage in this and I go down this road? I'm going to have to be accountable to that. Go for counseling. These are all steps that we can take. But again, the real change, it happens on the inside. The Lord's help, we can view women, view men and view the human body in the way God intended, as something sacred, something created in his image. Take control of your, of your life. With the help of the Lord, you can do this. Choose to click on something that can help make the world a better place. Porn kills love. Porn is bereft of love. Choose love. Love wins every time. I'm going to end today with a story. So earlier in my career, uh, I was working with a young man. His presenting issue was marital discord. His wife was pregnant, and she was threatening to leave him and go live with her parents. And uh, as safety and trust between 
he and myself became established, more and more details began to emerge, as is often the case. The first issue he spoke of was this online relationship with a woman from his past. And this online relationship served as this sort of imaginational playground where they would talk online about all the things that they wanted to do together sexually, and it, it, got, it got very graphic. It got very uh, nefarious. It was egregious. It was awful, and it went on for a very long time. What do you think preceded such a relationship? Porn addiction, right? Going back to that law of diminishing returns piece, right? This was by far the worst case of porn addiction that I've seen thus far in my career. Uh, just quickly, uh, so he and his wife, they had uh, different work schedules. He would work Monday to Friday. She would work some shift work on the weekend. And he would come home from work on, on Friday evening, and she would already be gone for her shift. He would then consume pornography from the moment he got home until about 3 or 4 in the morning. And then Saturday, when she left for work, he'd start all over again. Sunday, same thing. Like We're talking between 24 and 30 hours of pornography consumption in a single weekend, and it was every single weekend. Eventually, it doesn't do it for you anymore. He wants to experience this stuff with a real person, so he rekindled this old flame from his past, and before you know it, he was in way too deep. Eventually, this was discovered by his wife, and she was, she was I mean, she had one and a half feet out the door, Terrified of losing his wife, but being so entrenched in his porn addiction was pulling this guy apart. But he, he started to realize the implications. He started to realize the gravity of the situation. He started to realize what he was doing and how it was impacting his wife, his relationship, his life. He started to consider what this meant for him going forward when she would eventually give birth to their first child together. This guy started working really hard. This guy implemented accountability software on all of his devices. This guy started calling for counseling sometimes twice a week. He wanted to work really hard at this, and he did. Eventually, I got a text from this guy. His wife had given birth. It was a picture of him holding his newborn baby boy in the hospital with a caption that said, <clears throat> this moment wouldn't have been possible without your help. Thank you. A couple months later, he and his wife met with me to check in, update, and thank me in person. So that's a victory story, and there's lots more of those guys. The integration of our sexuality, and we are sexual beings, into our whole personality can be painful, hard work. We have to force ourselves to be totally honest about who we are in the deep secret corners of our sexual minds. This process involves being open and vulnerable with a significant other, a willingness or a therapist, a willingness to limit the expression of some of our desires, the healing of obvious distortions, and acceptance of our basic sexual makeup. Without God's guidance and support and the special work of His Spirit, I doubt if we can ever successfully complete this journey towards sexual wholeness but it is possible, God willing. Thank you, South Langley Church, for, for listening to this material today. I know it wasn't easy. I know it was a journey. I know you all had to engage in uh, practicing being comfortable with what's uncomfortable, and I applaud you for that. Thank you very much for listening today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ross. Thanks, Dave. Let's give him a hand.
you have a seat. So that was tough. And so we've been confronted with some stark realities today. Um, and, and as we've been saying, next week we're going to dig deeper into some of the, um, the biblical stuff behind it. this. We're going to see next week how we can um, use, use the weapons that we have as Christians to fight this fight. Um, but where we wanted to leave it today was that as individuals and as a church, we just want to decide together that we're going to stand together against pornography and its usage, um, whatever shape that takes in our lives. And so the thing is, pornography is an isolating sin. And so there's something powerful about us as a community standing together uh, in this fight. And so in a moment, not now, I'm going to invite you to physically stand up as a way of indicating that you're in favor of love, you're in favor of deep commitment, you're in favor of, of healthy and godly sexuality, and that you're opposed to uh, the damage and lies that pornography perpetuates. And, and we're going to take that stand together. And for some of us, that means we're going to break some patterns in our lives. We're going we're gonna to fight some addictions. 2018 will be the year that we, that we say enough's enough. For some of us, it's, it's going to mean, you know what, we're, gonna, we're not wrestling with it, but we know someone else who is, and we're going to walk alongside them and support them. For some of us, it's going to mean that we're going to have to forgive someone who has betrayed us in this area, and we're going to go there next week. Um, and for all of us, it's going to mean that, that in every area of our lives, we, won't, we don't engage in all the things that our society that wants to do that... Um, that degrades and objectifies uh, human beings and that, and that devalues and trivializes sexuality uh, in any form. And so if you're willing to take that stand together, would you just please rise right now? Would you just stand together? And after we pray, I'm going to pray over us in a moment, and then the band's uh, going to, we're, we're going to sing The Wonderful Cross. It's a song that meditates on two things. Number one, the power of the cross of Jesus to cleanse us from our deepest and darkest sins. And number two, the call, to put, the call of the cross of Jesus to put our sin behind us, to abandon our sin. The song says, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. What, what are your vain things that charm you most? For some of us, that is pornography. And we're going to lay it aside. And the promise of the song and of Scripture is that when we do, we'll find that we can truly live. And so let me pray over us now. Lord God, we, we thank you for the good gifts of love and of marriage and our bodies and of sexual intimacy. And God, we mourn together the brokenness of this world due to sin, um, due to our sin. We confess that we human beings uh, have abused your good gifts. And so we're asking you today um, to, to purify our hearts in whatever way we need to be purified. And we commit together as a church to standing together against pornography in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We commit to standing together 
against the, um, the objectification, the cheapening, the devaluing um, impulses that por pornography represents. And Jesus, we thank you for your cross and we trust in its power to cleanse us from, from our deepest and darkest and most shameful sins. And we respond now to your call to lay down our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's remain standing as we sing.